0: So I was doing some research into different things this week. Um, Ever have one of those situations where you were winning and then you lost? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Uh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You should see that comedian. He's like, um, when me and my wife argue and she's right, she's right. eh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, he (laughs) says, and then he says, when I'm right, she's right. And when she's wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> like, but um, um, So gambling, gambling's one of these things where you can win and then, but you lose more usually. Um, just give you some statistics real fast. They say that's a lot of money. Um, if you were to take all those six hundred dollars right now, but that's still better. Um, every year that. The United States citizens lose about a hundred billion dollars in gambling, um, and they're not winning because, as the the saying goes, the house always wins, right? Um, and so, gambling is one of those things that is um, you think you win, and so when you win, it feels great. You're actually losing a lot, and um, and so it's one of those things. I always I always joke with um, Marika, my wife. I always tell her. The only time I will ever buy a lotto ticket is when it reaches a billion dollars, you know. And then it just reached the billion dollars, and then I didn't know it. Like, I hadn't been paying attention, and then she goes, why didn't you buy a ticket? I'm like, well, apparently it wasn't mine to have. Because so, that's always to do with God. Okay, God, if you want me to have this, then I'll, I'll get it next week. And then next week, and then next week, and then I never get it. Because it's always the week I say that, that the next week it gets won. I think God's trying to tell me something. Is that yours? Yeah, it's not mine. Um, but this idea of winning but losing in the end is what we're talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Judges. Um, we're going to do Judges 11. And as we jump into this, because this is our summer series, and we're going through the book of Judges, we're halfway there, okay? Um, and we're going through, and we've talked about these three themes and I told you last week that you only get one more week of knowing all three themes and then we're going to have a test. Okay? So you're going to have a test next week on what the three themes are. Alright? So you're not going to have them up on the board to let you know. So, but the three themes that we've been talking about, I put them all into one paragraph this week for you. Alright? So it's God's faithfulness. Now I've got to tell you a real fact. Just a, a side note. You see how it's bold, God's faithfulness, but it's a black line underneath? That's because of that dumb computer up there that should be a white line so but it's God's faithfulness in the face of humanity's unfaithfulness right we've talked about that that when humanity is unfaithful God is still faithful this is the overarching theme of scripture and it is condensed into the judges because what judges is is it takes the whole of scripture of what God's doing and shows us how that plays out within about four to five hundred years of Israel's um, history and so we're seeing these themes again and again and again. So God is faithful when humanity isn't. And obedience leads to a right relationship with God. Okay? So when Israel is in a right relationship with God, it's because they're obedient to God. They're doing what God says. And in fact, today we're going to see a lot of disobedience that happens to what God had already said. And so obedience leads to a right relationship with God. Whereas disobedience leads to turmoil in our, all of our relationships. So it doesn't matter if it's a personal relationship, it doesn't matter if it's me with myself, it doesn't matter if it's me with God, it doesn't matter if it's me with my family, it doesn't matter us as a society. Disobedience leads to turmoil. That's just the way it is. Okay? And so we have these three themes that we keep seeing again and again and again in Judges. And what we keep seeing is it gets worse and worse and worse. And so when we see humanity unfaithful, God's faithfulness peaks, like it goes up, but their unfaithfulness gets worse and worse and worse, just like their disobedience gets worse and worse and worse. And so in Judges, we talked about this since the very first um, week, that it's not a cycle in the sense of they're good with God, they sin, and then they get back with God. That's not how this Judges works. It's they're good with God. They cry out to God, but they're further from God the next time they get into a sinful situation. So they're moving, rather than a, in a cycle, they're moving in a downward spiral like a, like a, um, a whirlpool. Okay? So that's what we've been talking about. Those are the overarching themes all right, of Judges. And if you get those and understand those, you're good. Like You understand Judges. All right? But what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, now that we're looking more microscopic here, is we've been talking about Gideon's story and the ramifications from that story. And so from Gideon's story, we have um, this. right? Do we not have it up there? Yeah. There should be another. There's not. Okay, I messed up. So the other one that's on your outline is going to be this idea that... That small sins lead to catastrophic consequences. Well, right at the end of Gideon's story, he's then when he's asked to be king, he kind of just he kind of takes it for himself. You start seeing that that sin leads to major things. The first thing. And so that's one thing. But now you're going to see that that sin of Gideon is going to continue. Last week, we saw that it continued into the other judge who's following in that same path. Right. So that brings us to judges. I answer that. Outline. I know sometimes people get mad. At it. So we're going to look at it because this section, or two sections, and within those two sections, you have the main thrust. The, we're not going to read all of it today. To who will your son? The fled from his the Ammonites, come from my fathers, that you may go again to fight us if we do not do as you say at mitzvah it's interesting here in the jordan so who is dealing most likely with a you start seeing jair trying to make for himself the, this kingdom and thing we just read there's just ungodliness everywhere in this in this text right so i just want to walk this section or the third part of this section first one it starts right there what they're saying is that word head that will lead us we'll make to be the next judge so you have calling up judges that we'll see Jephthah is not called by God. And so from the get-go, so there's number one. The second thing, so he's taking his marriage vows and just chuck them for bad situations. You know, have you ever felt like man born into this family? I didn't want to be born into that situation. But the one good thing about what it's set up to where it's from this man. Um the people have any inheritance. That's that reading between the lines. That's So again, until the next one. It's an opportunity to make a life for him. And it's the same language as a mighty man of valor. That's the same language a warrior guy. Worthless men. That's the same language. And paid for worthless men. Jephthah is surrounding himself with worthless men. And that word worthless means morally corrupt. So what's that tell us about Jephthah? What he can gain out of it. In fact, the idea here is that he is an outlaw. A well-known outlaw. A very vicious outlaw. But he is a morally corrupt person. And so you, now you have this thing, and this is where that point comes from. We can either, be, we can either blame society for our actions that say, well, this is why I am the way I am. Or we can take responsibility for our actions. And so we go to the next part. Number five. They go to him, read their vow. We want you to be a commander. Basically, we don't want you to be the king. We want you to be away from their vow. They're breaking their vow already. And that guy was a nut job. Right? He was evil. He did horrible things. I could see them going, you know, we don't want that situation. We have another morally corrupt guy here. We don't want him to be king. So he tells them, no, I don't want that. They reiterate. They say, okay, well, how about this? We will make you head over Gilead. Back to their original vow. And what does he respond with? No. Yes. He takes him he takes up on that. And so that's our sixth one. We can see that Jephthah wasn't out for the interests of his people. Because if he was, he would say, you know what, I'm going I'm to fight this. Right? If he was morally strong, right, morally right, he would say, you know what? It's my moral duty to help my people defeat this enemy. But instead... They offer him an opportunity. He says no. And then they did right there with I'm more important, right, than my people. There's actually one more. So scratch that six on your paper and write seven. There's one more. They invoke God. They say that they make God a witness. In front of, if, if we don't do what, we, what you say, Jetha, then God will, will take care of us. They invoke God, but God never agrees to it. In other words, they're saying, okay, we're, we're going to not follow our own vow. So you have a seventh one where it's invoking God when you don't plan to use God. Reduction. And that sets up for the rest of the story. Because the very next thing, we're going to drop down to verse 23. But the very next thing that happens is he sends out a letter to the Ammonites. Now we're not going to read that all that back and forth. That's your homework. Okay? But basically the idea is he's saying, why are you here? And they respond with, you guys stole our land a long time ago and we want it back. Okay? That's basically the whole conversation. What we want to focus on is at that very end. Because remember who Jephthah is, this morally bankrupt man. Who is out for his own self interest. I want you to hear what he says to the people. Okay? So, verse 23, it says this. Um, where are we? Yeah. Okay, so then the Lord the God, so this is Jephthah speaking. He's talking about what has happened in the past. He says, So then the Lord the God of Israel disposed the Amorites and before his people Israel, and are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess? Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zipporah, or King's villages and Ehor, and its villages, and in all the city? You do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the Judge, decides this day between, that He sent to them okay. to come to war. He's basically telling. Basically, it's my dad can beat your dad up. This way, yeah. we don't really know, but we do know he's morally corrupt. So it seems more like he's using this as a way to entice them or goad them into attacking. Because he says, let, let God judge. We'll see what happens. And then the Ammonites reject it. So basically he's saying, look, if you really had a claim to this place, then one, you would have came over and done, dealt with this a long time ago. Or two, your God would have given it to you. But those aren't true. Our God gave this to us, so come and take it. it. Is basically what he's saying. Come and take it, the land. He's goading them into this situation. But the best thing that Jephthah says in his entire story is right there: is let God judge. That's the best thing, best line, best theological thing Jephthah ever says. And it's after that that we get into verse twenty-nine. So in verse 29 now, you go from that thing to this. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. So after all of that, after all that ungodliness, we finally see God show up. It says and the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mitzvah of Gilead, and from Mitzvah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I rise to fight against them, and the Lord gave excuse me, the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck whoops and he struck them for error um. Eor, to the neighborhood of Minnath, twenty cities, and as far as Abel-Karim, with a great blow, so the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter to me. For I have opened my mouth your mouth. Now that the Lord has opened up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions with this because it starts to walk through exactly what is going on so it says the spirit of the lord comes upon him then the language that's used is really important it says things it's it's the rare lord comes on and now he's making these inroads he's moving through and he's having victory is the idea so jephthah is having this victory because god's opening the door to everything but then we get the vow and this is the thing we have to understand What's happening before the vow and what happens after the vow. Then the vow comes, and the vow is Lord, if you'll give me the Ammonites, I will give you whatever comes out of my house as a burnt offering. Now, here's the thing. Did, Aunt, did Jephthah need to make that vow? No. no. Why? Stuff all that. That he was done with the punishment of he's still giving victory. And then, Jephthah makes a vow. That's the big thing. The vow isn't about God. It's about Jephthah. Again, we're at the morally corrupt guy, right? This is very pagan, what he's doing. We've talked about this again and again. You use vows, you use these things to manipulate the gods. To get them to do what you want. We saw this with Gideon. He, he was trying to like, make God do things. He did it with the, the food that he brought. He did it with the, um, the fleece. He kept doing these different things to manipulate God to do what he wanted. And here we see Jephthah doing the exact same thing. God, I'll give you whatever. You ever make a vow like this with God? God, if you would only do this one thing for me, I will do this. That's pagan. It's not biblical. Because what does Jephthah know? He knows nothing that's going to happen. He makes this really. And the vow, in. We've been talking about this ambiguous language throughout all of, all of Judges. There's this constant ambiguous language. We saw it with Ehud, right? We saw it with um, Gideon. And now there's more ambiguous language. In this vow, it's what that word whatever it really means whatever. It means animal, it means human, it's just it's open. This shows us that Jephthah doesn't understand God. That he has no concept of who God is. And I'll tell you the reasons why. In Deuteronomy. Okay? In Deuteronomy twelve thirty-one we get this. It says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Talking about these these sacrifices. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So God said this literally like 300 years earlier. If Jethro knew and understood, he wouldn't have made the vow. Or he would have been more specific. Lord, whatever animal comes out from my house, I will sacrifice to you. But he doesn't. And when we see that it's his daughter that comes out, we understand that he meant anything. Because he says, woe is me, right? Alas, daughter, you have put me in a bad spot. But God, if you actually understood who God was... He wouldn't have done this. Even in the valley, we'd say, well, God doesn't want that. And yet he continues down. So we know that, that Jephthah is off the rails. He doesn't understand God. He's doing pagan stuff. He's doing morally corrupt stuff. And what's interesting about this is afterwards, he wins victory of the Ammonites. So the question becomes, did God give him victory because of his vow? The answer is no. He gave him victory because way back in chapter 10, God says, I'm done with their punishment. I'm done with Israel's punishment. So God was already working the victory out. We already saw that before the vow. He was already working the victory out. So that was going to happen, and that vow is just Jephthah being dumb. He's just not doing what he's supposed to do. He's speaking rashly. He's doing these dumb things. And the second, the person has no responsibility in this. Okay, well, I want you to go to a different verse. This is Romans chapter 7. Okay, Romans chapter 7, verse 22. It says this For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he has this, who, who will? And he goes on, it's Christ Jesus. But what Paul is trying to communicate through these different passages is, look, just because God is working, right, the law in this case, doesn't mean I'm off the hook. Because of the the things that my members do. What I want to do. So I, I still can do sinful things. I still can do wrong actions. Ungodly things. So just because God's spirit is moving. Doesn't mean Jephthah is off the hook. It's Jephthah who makes the choice. This goes back to that whole thing. Is Jephthah a product of his community? Of his dad? Of his brothers? Or is Jephthah responsible for what he does the biblical understanding is jephthah is responsible for what he does it doesn't matter what your parents did it doesn't matter what your society does what matters is do you you make the choice between following god or not jephthah god has set everything up for jephthah's victory and what does he do speaks rashly this thing within the scriptures that when a, selfless, a selfish person shows up, a woman is used to bring them down. Meaning that where Barak was supposed to be the man, right? He was supposed to get this glory. Jael was used. And God gave her glory. We saw this last week, or two weeks ago, with Abimelech. Where a woman was used to strike him down. And he recognized. That he was being demoted basically. And so he had someone else kill him. So that it wouldn't be known that a woman killed him. In this passage. Same thing. You get the daughter. What's interesting what the daughter says. So she says. Um, she says my father. You have opened up your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out from your mouth. What's interesting is that language is echo. It's an echo of what has happened before. So back in Numbers, back in Numbers 32, 30 verse 2, it says, if a man vows, yeah, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break. So this girl's probably 14, 15, 16 years old. And she has more understanding of who God is About being obedient to God's law. Than her dad does. And she puts herself into that. And she says look. You did this dad. I'll walk it. This is one of those things. Where a little sin. We think oh this is just a vow. child." What's huge about this is. You you go back to Gideon. He had 70 sons. You go back to um, Jair. He had 30 sons. This idea of having these many sons was this is your legacy. This is your dynasty. For someone, Jephthah, who wanted that, right? He took the headship. He took the crown for Gilead. He has no dynasty now. He cut his own feet off because he was rash with his vow. So everything that he wanted, he just lost it. And the most righteous person in this whole thing that's supposed to show the really put juxtapose it's supposed to be the guys that are supposed to do it, right? It's supposed to be the guys that are supposed to be the leaders. It's supposed to be the guys who are doing this. It's the little girl. And it's the heap, the condemnation on to Jephthah. Look, the little girl has more sense of who God is than you do. And so then the question is, what becomes of her? So there's two interpretations. One is, she dies. But he actually kills her. I believe that's what it is. And this is the reason why. Because Jephthah is morally corrupt. Now the other one's more of the storybook ending. She just stays a virgin the rest of her life. I don't think that's what it's saying. Wait here. That bad things have happened. That it just doesn't go away. So whichever ending you want, you can have. I think that he, he killed her. And then this just leads into next week, which it gets worse. And you go, man, it gets worse? Yeah. Because the sin that's, remember we, at the very beginning, our disobedience has effects on us, our families, and whole society that sin has gone from Jephthah to his family and we're going to see that next week go further out so what about us right so what are we supposed to walk away from this okay. we're called to speak intentionally and Jephthah he just speaks because oh, I got to just speak so, but we're called to speak intentionally and we're supposed to speak God, with godly purpose Right? How many of us, I do it, speak rashly? We just speak because we're angry, or we—I mean, we all do it at some points. Yeah. We're Jephthah. It's easy to say, man, Jephthah is a messed-up guy. I'm Jephthah because I do stupid, morally unbiblical things, and that's not what God has called me to. Instead, God has called me to other things. So, I'm going to give you three verses here. First one is Ecclesiastes. When, as often as I can, I try to bring up Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes because we don't really talk about this book. So, when I can, we can. It says, Be not rash with your mouth, not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. A lot of the problems we run into in our all of our society with... Probably be fixed if we just shut up. If we just took a second and said maybe I shouldn't talk in this situation. A lot of hurts. A lot of bad blood. All happens because we were rash with our mouth. We didn't think about. Yeah we didn't think about how how could this. What I'm saying right now affect these people. I got to tell you just real quick. A couple weeks ago. um, I said some rash things. And. The whole thing right about the setback stuff that we're dealing with at the town manager was there and he tells the the committee look um, this is a legal issue it doesn't has nothing to do with other things it's a legal issue if we don't fix this we might get into legal trouble and three of the four people that were there at the committee go basically it doesn't matter we want to keep it the same so what they're saying is we don't care if it's a legal issue. We want to keep it the same. Afterwards, I said this, those people should not be on the committee because they're not thinking. So the next day when we had the council meeting and I was listening to it, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, these people better get their act together. Every single one, in my mind, I'm thinking, God, every one of these people need to agree to this because if they don't, they're morons. So rashly in my own mind, I'm saying these, guys, these people are... Thank God, because I was getting really worked up. Instead of being rash, the first thing I said is, I'm very glad about what you, how you guys are approaching this, and you don't have to speak rashly. Because, yeah. Anyways. But we, is this the moment? It's like when people tell me things I know that aren't true. While I can't fix someone's thought. I don't fix it. I just say, we drive on the left side of the road. I'll correct that because that's dumb. And they'll die and take someone with them. But if they're like, hey, you know what? The sky is red and it's obviously blue. Okay, I'm not going to fix that. Can't fix stupid. Okay? And so why, why do I need to say things that it's going to cause a bigger issue that, eh, Tomorrow it won't matter. What are the things that matter into eternity? Those are the things that we should be speaking to. Those things that are going to be forgotten in five minutes, we don't need to be speaking on. Okay, so here's, but it shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, that's what we're dealing with, right? In the whole situation. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jer- Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simple, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I mean, think about like, the, the heaviness of that statement. If I say anything more than yes or no, when I'm asked something, I'm asked to make a vow or something like that. If I go beyond my yes or beyond my no, anything beyond that is an evil thing because you're trying to make more out of what you have. You're trying to make your character bigger than your action. What did Jephthah do? He did evil. Because he made the vow, that was evil. I mean, even if he wanted to, all he said was, God... I trust that you're going to give me the victory because you said you were going to. So I thank you right now for that. Move forward. You know what's really funny about this whole passage? How much of the passage do we actually learn about the battle? Like almost zero. We know that he won because the battle didn't matter. The battle was already won before the vow. The final one I want to give you is this. We as believers need to be going after what Paul says to Timothy to go after. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. These bad, these unrighteous acts. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So what are we supposed to do? Check our words, seek after godliness. How hard is that? Very hard because you... you, And Nebali will run into someone that will test you. This is one of those things. You want patience? That's the one thing God will always give you. You want an opportunity not to speak dumb stuff to people who are really good at you? Just ask. Because I'll tell you this. When you leave here, I mean, you might even experience here. You might experience it right now. You might be like, Jeremiah, you just need to shut up because it's time to get out here. Okay? (laughs) Let your words be few, Jeremiah. Come on. But you'll have an opportunity, it might be at lunch, it might be in the grocery store. As people come back, you're going to have more opportunities of being like, man, you're, you were not sharpened and put back, right? Man, you're just as dull as yeah, as a round rubber ball. You know, man, you are not, like, you're going to run into people who are just going to irk you. And guess what? As a believer, you are called to watch what you say to them, to seek godliness, and that is going to be hard. So, my challenge for you this week is to do this. And believe me, I'm not the type of person that's like, "I got this," because there are so many times. Well, I will say something dumb and go. Yeah, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. And there's sometimes I'm like, I just don't works out. And I go, God, we should do that more often. And so I just want you to, this week, every time you have a new conversation with someone, and that's going to be hard, have a conversation with someone, say, God, speak. Use my words for your glory. That I don't say something rashly that can hurt, that can cause sin. It can cause problems here. And if I do, you know what the antidote to that is? Repenting, asking for forgiveness. So when I say something rash, I didn't mean that. That was dumb, I should not have said that. That wasn't glorifying God. I apologize. Would you accept my forgive or would you accept my apology? That would be yes, thank you. She's like, I I accept your apology for this whole time. All right, but that's who God is wanting us to be: people who speak in this, in righteousness, in godliness, in faith, in love, in steadfastness, steadfastness, and gentleness. Can we do that with the power of Spirit? Right. Okay. we we can We can seek God this week. Right. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to be in your word. Lord, thank you for the, the community of the church that we can be a part of. Lord, I ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would be moving in us, that, that since we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we would walk in step with the Spirit, and that we wouldn't do our own thing, that we wouldn't have our own um, words to say, that we would speak only what you would have us speak. So Lord, be with us that we may glorify you, that we may pursue what you would have us, that we may not fall into the trap of Jephthah, but that we'd walk the way you would have us walk. And Lord, I pray for victories in my brothers' and sisters' lives, that if they're going through hard things, things that are just tearing them down, that you would give them victory, that they wouldn't make rash oaths or rash things, but they would trust, and they would move forward into that victory, because you are good, and you bring goodness out of even the worst situations. So Lord, we just thank you we praise you.